Today, the European Union are going to vote on a very important decision whether or not they're going to gamble with our health and relicense glyphosate to be used across Europe um, when scientists simply are not sure that it's safe. The, the top cancer experts in the world believe that this could be a dangerous product that's on our food, on our fields, on our playgrounds, on our plates. Um, and that's why we're here today because we want to make sure that there's a safe, transparent process around this that is based on independent science and that people are able to trust the decisions that are being made here in Brussels. Hi there and welcome to a new edition of the Euronet Plus Green Deal podcast. You were just listening to Bert Wander, campaign director at EAVATS, who was demonstrating against the use of glyphosate in Brussels after the EU extended its license back in 2017. That's right. Today we are talking about the herbicides our farmers put on their land, land that feeds us all. The most common of these is glyphosate, which is used in agriculture and horticulture and also to kill weeds in other settings, such as on railway tracks and even gardens. Its use is approved in the EU until the 15th of December 2022, a decision based on the safety assessment of a group of four countries – France, Hungary, the Netherlands and Sweden. And this despite a 2017 anti-glyphosate campaign that amassed more than a million signatures in Europe. Whether glyphosate's license is renewed in 2022 will depend on a safety evaluation carried out by a group of member states. So what's the problem? Well, as you heard just moments ago, glyphosate has long been suspected of causing certain cancers, as well as developmental disorders in infants. While studies in Europe don't fully back this theory, in 2018 a US court ruled that the product initially developed by Monsanto had indeed caused cancer, but to no avail. How does the use of glyphosate square with the EU's green credentials, you might wonder? Indeed, the EU claims to want to reduce the use of pesticides by 50% and fertilizers by 20% by 2030. By the same date, a quarter of all farmland should be used for organic agriculture, and the bloc's environmental ambitions do not stop there, as it has set a target of converting around 10% of our farmland into wildflower stripes or hedges, providing food and shelter for insects and birds. However, as the farm-to-fork and biodiversity strategies point out, we need to do more. By 2030, we need, for instance to reduce substantially the use and the risk of chemical pesticides and the use of more hazardous ones. We need to reduce nutrient losses while ensuring no deterioration of soil fertility. And we need to reduce the sales of antimicrobials for farmed animals and in aquaculture. And I tell you, as a medical doctor by training, I know of the enormous risks of growing antibiotic resistance. We should achieve 25% of total farmland under organic farming. And we should increase substantially biodiversity-rich landscapes features on agricultural land. This was Ursula von der Leyen, president of the European Commission, outlining the EU's goals in this field at the end of last year. So let's take a look at how things are progressing. Herbicides have a long history in agriculture, with glyphosate itself used since the 1970s. Can agriculture even function without them? 
My colleagues in Brussels spoke to Green MEP Benoit Bito. If we really want to leave pesticides behind and turn to more virtuous agricultural methods, we need a clean break and real transition policies to support the profession so that it can meet these goals. But this strategy of small steps and objectives, which does not include banning pesticides, for example, is not the right method in my view, and it's a method that will lead to the slow death of farming. The farming industry is also skeptical, but comes at the issue from a different standpoint. Copa Cogeca, the EU's largest farm lobby, has already provided feedback to the European Commission on the forthcoming strategy. Farmers cannot manage without antibiotics or pesticides, says Pekka Pessonen, the Secretary General of Copa Cogeca. He also underlines the important role of product pricing in trying to find a workable strategy for the organic sector. We need more tools, a good range of tools to combat the phenomena of peasant disease. And if we reduce the use of chemicals, can we use some other means to ensure that we don't lose the crops? Um, we have a very good example in organic sector where, where we have a fairly good balance with various aspects of sustainability in organic We still have only like 7% of the consumption of organic. It's lacking behind our political ambition. And I'm sorry to say that because we see some opportunities there in many respects for sustainability reasons, but also economically, because we feel that in some sectors in organic, we can actually, uh, let's say, produce with a, with a good economic returns also for farmers that would motivate them. But the consumers are very sensitive to price. Yet we must not overlook the hidden costs of mainstream agriculture either, stresses Benoit Bito from the European Parliament's Greens. In reality, nothing costs less than organic products. What costs far more are those products that come from mainstream agriculture, which generates huge externalized costs for curative solutions, because we have individualized the profits for those who take advantage of this model, and we've shared up the costs. But when we establish the principle of polluter-payer products that come from a form of agriculture that uses pesticides and synthetic fertilizers, will no longer be affordable for consumers. Dr. Horst Henning Steinmann is the coordinator of the Biodiversity and Sustainable Agriculture Center at the George August University in Göttingen in Germany. In his expert opinion, are the EU's 2030 goals achievable? These are ambitious goals. Is it realistic to meet them? That's a tough question. Yes, I believe there is great potential in reducing our plant protection efforts. And there is no time to lose in developing and finding new technical solutions, despite how long it takes for our politicians to come up with rules. Whether it's realistic depends on how bureaucratic it becomes. The EU is debating this topic, but in the end it's the member states that have to implement it on a national level. Another question is what time period we want to use as a reference. Do we go a long way back or start with recent years when it has been drier and we have made less use of herbicides? What's the starting point when measuring what 50% less even means? Results-wise, I think it's too ambitious, even though the conversion itself should be possible during this time period.
My colleagues from Polski Radio spoke to Janusz Wojciechowski. The Polish EU Commissioner for Agriculture also believes that the goal of healthy agriculture is within our reach. If we use the opportunities presented by this Green Deal strategy, the strategy for the production of biodiversity, wisely, then agriculture has a chance of developing throughout the European Union, and in particular where this model is more firmly rooted in small farms, as it is in Poland in Podkarpaci or Malopolski. But organic farming is not the be-all and end-all, says Bartosz Pütlak, head of the Department of Organic Agriculture at Poland's Ministry of Agriculture and Rural Development. Currently in Poland, about 3.3% of our land is used for organic farming. But there are countries, like Austria, where this share was already 24% by the end of 2019. Nevertheless, the farm-to-fork strategy is not only about organic farming. We have a number of targets here, such as reducing the use of pesticides, fertilizers and antibiotics. All these goals can actually be achieved through or in conjunction with the development of the organic farming system. In Bulgaria, my colleagues interviewed Peter Petrov, chair of the country's National Association of Young Farmers. 29-year-old Petrov took over his family's 80-hectare diary and sheep farm. Petrov offers a Bulgarian perspective on the reality currently facing farmers. Anyone who wants to can see how many farmers are going bankrupt at the moment, how many animals are being scrapped. Unlike grain production, which is clearly thriving, animal husbandry, the fruit and vegetable industry, organic producers and beekeepers are declining and giving up. The fact that many people talk about prioritizing organic farming and biotechnology does not mean that this is actually happening. It's like digitization. I can see that it's a good thing, but we have not evolved to the point of digitalizing agriculture. A small farm is not profitable enough to digitalize. Young producers in agriculture and animal husbandry are finding more lucrative occupations that yield more money with less work and are also less stressful and less risky. Echoing the words of Copa Cogeca's secretary-general, Petrov also highlights that many consumers are priced out of buying more sustainable and healthy products, which puts Spanner in the works of the EU's Grand Green aspirations. The majority of Bulgarian consumers cannot afford such products. That's why there is still a market for imitation cheeses and cheap mints. For me, all these green ideas will be impossible to apply to our reality. When I opened my business in 2019, I believed that people would appreciate a more expensive but better quality product, namely yogurt in glass jars. My idea failed dramatically. People are looking for the cheapest option. You can't expect to them that something is reusable, that it doesn't create PVC waste, that it's more environmentally friendly, that the consumer is being more responsible when buying this product. And I was forced to start selling in conventional plastic containers. Greening mainstream agriculture plays a huge role in the EU's Green Deal, but it is clear that getting consumers used to higher prices is just as important. And higher prices also have a social impact. 
Despite the challenges that lie ahead, the Commission plans to make its pesticide reduction targets binding, as Claire Burry, Deputy Director General for Food Sustainability at the European Commission, explained at the Forum for the Future of Agriculture on March 16. According to Burry, The Commission may take advantage of the review of the Directive on the Sustainable Use of Pesticides scheduled for early 2020 to include its farm and fork strategy targets. Once again, we see how the end result, whether or not we meet the EU's goals, depends on a shift in our collective mindset. Drawing up legislation and setting new standards and rules for the industry is one way of bringing about change, but it only gets us part way there. Rethinking how we spend our money is also key. Only if we are willing to pay more in the short term for things that last longer and are better for us, might we have the chance of saving money and the planet in the long run. When we look at the bigger picture, the importance of every piece of the puzzle is clear. But when it comes down to money, this is where it becomes personal for most people. We need to be the change we want to see. In our next episode, we will delve into the issue of recycling. Stay tuned and have a great day.